Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You are listening to Missed Apex Podcast. We live F1. Welcome to Missed Apex Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Reddy, but my friends call me Spanish. So let's be friends. Hello from a sunny England. We're doing another mailbag as we brace ourselves for the non-stop roller coaster ride that is Paul Ricard. Yeah, it's the French Grand Prix. It's a track that, believe it or not, come at me, but I like the track. It has a lot of potential. Unfortunately, recently, it does seem to rarely deliver. However, I am looking forward to seeing what this regulation set can bring to the Rainbow Road of F1 tracks, even though it often looks like ran- random squiggles on a car park and I have no idea which way the cars are about to go, I do always feel like there is something to be unlocked at Paul Ricard. We are an independent podcast produced in the podcasting shed with the kind permission of our better halves. We aim to bring you a race review before your Monday morning commute. We might be wrong, but we're first. Joining us today are Matt Two. Trumpets, presumably mocking me and laughing at my lack of ability to cope with any high temperature. That's not sweating, it's self-showering. <laughs> All of my insides are coming to my outsides, and I don't think that's a good thing. No, it's it's um it's never fun when it's that hot. So I actually have a great deal of sympathy for you in this instance. I'm being very brave. We're also being joined by a Miami uh, a Miami uh, uh, expatriate uh, to New York, Jessica uh, Smetana, who I'm sure has little sympathy for us Brits struggling in the heat. No, I, I also have sympathy because I'm sitting here without my air conditioner on because you told me that it was too loud for the microphone. So True. Uh, we're, we're both suffering in solidarity, I think. <laughs> but Jessica, you are a presenter, producer and journalist. You're, you're well known in the US podcast space. But for, for the British F1 fans, just who on earth are you? I ask myself that question every day. I host a few podcasts uh, for a company called Metal Arc Media. Our biggest podcast is the Dan Levitard yes. Show with Stu Gatz. Um, I also host a podcast about Formula One where me and my co-host Spencer Hall uh, watch races and then react right away, right afterwards. Mm. You won't get the same analysis you get on this show. You'll get 
a little bit of a different, um, more fun, more, I don't know, I, I guess you would say American uh, reaction spanners. Um, <laughs> and I also host a show called Off the Looking Glass, which is with my lovely co-host Kate Fagan. And that is a, a show about women's sports. So ah. everyone should check that out. And also, obviously, you've appeared on the Ringer F1 podcast, which has been a phenomenon in the F1 podcasting space. Yes, and I should thank my my dear friend Kevin Clark for uh, giving you my uh, recommendation, I guess, to come on. Yes, Casey, as I call him, because we're now close personal friends, said, uh, Jessica is fantastic. You must have her on immediately. But it's fair to say that you are from this crop of very talented, well-known, enthusiastic sports fans and sports journalists in the US that have found F1 over the last few years and just latched onto it and, and brought that kind of US energy into our into our broadly European space. I think that, yes, I started watching Drive to Survive like a lot of other Americans during the pandemic and then started watching the races. And then as I started watching the races, I actually realized I really liked the sport and not just the TV show version yeah. of the sport. And then I started listening to this podcast, which gave me a lot ah. of information that I <laughs> couldn't really find elsewhere. So I have a, a lot of credit to you, ah. uh, both of you, for that. Uh, mostly me, Matt. She means me. I don't mean to be rude. But we always talk about on this podcast how there's a lot of different type, uh, types of F1 fans. So I'd like to know where you slot yourself in. Obviously, there's um, the petrol heads who just like seeing motor cars going around there's the people that love the drama i think like myself i'm more into the the sporting element and there's also the adrenaline drunkies and i think there's also kind of a a glamour element in the f1 fandom as well uh, where where do you fit jessica that's a good question i think i i like the sport a lot for all the the storylines whether yeah. it's the sporting storylines the interpersonal uh relationships yeah. and team drama those sorts of things i I just enjoy all of it. I think one of the, the fundamental things of, of F1 that never used to really kind of capture people's attention, but definitely does now, is like the inter-team battle. So people are really interested about, oh, Hamilton versus Russell, how Daniel Ricciardo will get in on with Lando Norris. Yes, that's, I think the drive to survive has made that even yeah. more of a thing, whether or not <laughs> you believe all of it is true or not. Um, it's still a reason to tune in and kind of suss it out for yourself. Yeah, and, and actually, like, obviously, we like to be snobby as um, old F1 fans, Matt. But you can't deny that Drive to Survive and the rise of social media and all those rivalries, it's had an effect on us, you know, old F1 sweats as well. I think we've been pulled into that drama also. Well, yeah, and it is an equally valid uh, and just a gripping narrative, I think, for the sport. I mean, the thing about Formula One that that, that really captures me is there's just not enough races. <laughs> Everything matters every week. That used that to be race. true. There's 45 races a season now, Matt. Come on. If there were 45 races, then it wouldn't matter so much. Yeah. But that's that's like, so <laughs> anything, any point of contention is always maximum drama because that could be the thing that wins or loses the championship. I have to say, the one thing that I've actually not loved about the drama and the storylines, if you like, that have come out of Drive to Survive is I, I hear way more from the team principals than I used to. And I'm not, I'm not absolutely certain that I love all of it. Like Toto Wolf, who I'm generally an admirer of, I think he seems like brilliant. He's like a mountain of a man. He, he seems like he's like, he's a, he's an alpha from start to finish. And I, and I, and, I, and he seems nice as well with it. 
it's seemingly without irony, he came out this week and said, oh, the sport's actually a bit boring now that Red Bull and Ferrari are so far ahead. And you just go, oh, come on. But in the 90s, we'd, we'd never have heard about that, Jess. Yeah, but I think, I mean, it's it's kind of the way that I view college football coaches now right. because yeah. they've become their own version of celebrity. <laughs> and, you know, it's like the players will play for two to three years, some only, you know, two years, and then move on to the NFL. And same with the drivers. Some will yeah. stick around for a while. Some will be in and out. But the coaches are the kind of the constant for some, you know, for decades. So they become the personalities that you – Kind of, you know, they're full of it. College football <laughs> coaches certainly say things that con- I'm, I'm constantly listening to and thinking there is no way that you actually believe the thing that you're saying, but it's entertaining and they're kind of the constant for the and, team. And, and who would you say is the most analogous example in Formula One of, of that, the, the, that, that story, that narrative you just read us? Well, I think, I mean, I don't know if all your listeners will get the, the reference, but I think Toto Wolf is the same <laughs> as Nick Saban, who is okay. the head coach no, of the Alabama that. Crimson Tide. Oh, Matt gets it, Matt gets it. Roll Tide. No, oh, okay. No, oh, okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, and obviously, like, yeah, we, we hear what they say and you go, obviously, you're, you're playing politics and, and so much more. Like, from the drivers, you hear that passionate first instinct and they're obviously defending themselves. But with the with the... The team principles, you have to pick apart the politics so much more. And I think a great example as well, I think, Matt, in the last 10 years, you know, we had Eric Boulier was probably like one of the biggest PR guys where we suddenly realized like, oh, we we can't take anything you're saying at face value. Yeah, not even we can't take it at face value. We we can't even accept this in our store. Thank you. very. He was amazingly, I guess the word would be disingenuous when it came to just Feeding absolute non-truths to the to the public at large, and then actually one of the most unfortunate incidents uh, examples of recent years is probably um, Otmar Schaffnauer, who I think is a guy that is popular that we like. Uh, He seems very friendly, but then he he became kind of like a a stroll PR machine a little bit towards the end of his tenure at Aston Martin, and you went, oh man! So it's really difficult to tease tease this stuff apart, and and. Watching Horner versus Wolf, I don't think this is an exaggeration, but if you don't want to get political, Jessica, that's fine. I was going to say that's like Dabo Sweeney, but I don't think your fans will get that. No, no, I I certainly won't get it. But it feels (laughs) like every kind of Western political scenario as well. It just feels like gaslighting and shouting and counterclaiming. And you can't take any of it at face value. You have to take it all in the context of like this massive polarization in in the sport and the world. Yeah, I've gone heavy there. Fair. I've gone heavy. Yeah, that's what I've done. Yeah. Well, that's our job as as media to disseminate it, right? Yeah. Oh well, that's the thing. You're you're um you're a journalist, so you've got more responsibility. We're just like hot takes from a shed. So I would say I'm probably more of hot takes from a shed, also. But oh, that's good. Okay. Well, in that case, let's do hot takes from our red hot mailbag. And uh, the first mailbag question I need to answer is. Michael, who says, uh, Spanners, it's not nuclear, it's nuclear. Yeah, I know. I know how words are pronounced. I understand that it's nuclear. It's two words, nuclear. I get that. But I'm a person that struggles to say the region I came from. I'm from East Anglia. And that often comes out as East Anglia or some weird connotation from it. So all I'll say to you guys is you can take issue with my pronunciation 
errors, but I just warn you that it's going to take up an awful lot of your time. So let's go to some more serious mailbag issues. Jessica, have you picked out something from our mailbag? Yes. Speaking of of storylines, I think Mm. this counts as a storyline. It says, is the British media aware of the conflict between Gunther Steiner and Mick Schumacher? This has been going on for many weeks, and it seems Mick will leave the team at the end of the season, maybe making space for an American driver. And that's from Marcio uh, Goncalves. And thank you for that question, Marcio. I have to admit, Jessica, this isn't a storyline I'd actually heard too much about. Obviously, I have personally been critical of of Mick Schumacher, I tend not to be a great fan of the the, the legacy drivers, the drivers that come in with money or a name. I, I, I sort of, I'm like, okay, well, if you're brilliant, I'll get on board. Like kind of Norris, he came in as a paid driver. He's, he's, he's brilliant and he's, he's shown himself, so I've got my attention. Schumacher beating Mazepin wasn't a an achievement to me because Mazepin to me represented everything that was bad about the sport and the direction I feared it was going. Comes up against Magnussen, isn't doing well. But I had not picked up that there's any conflict between Gunter Steiner and Mick Schumacher. Well, I had heard him make critical comments after the crash at Monaco where Haas said that they believed there were going to be up to two million pounds in damages, I I think, to the car, which uh, my calculations are (laughs) that equals around two million dollars these days. Um, Turns out that that was not the case. The car wasn't actually that badly damaged. And then since then, Mick has gotten points in two races back to back, finished in eighth at Silverstone and sixth in Austria. So I'm not sure if this is still, I I don't know if that has softened things between the two of them, but I think that was an inflection point. And then I saw as recently as today, Damon Hill say that Gunther Steiner's, I guess, management technique is what Mick Schumacher needed to push himself. And then Steiner has also said that, uh, Magnuson being his teammate has has been exactly what he's needed. So maybe there is some softening over the last two races now that they've they've actually gotten some points from him. Jessica, I worry that the bar is low. And I remember seeing this film ages ago about a, a baseball player who who lost his arm in a farmyard accident. And, you know, he was a really good player. Then he started playing with one handed. Uh, and then people were starting to cheer when he just took one base, which for UK people is like a quarter of the whole thing. But it's like, are we cheering a very low bar? Are we almost damning him with faint praise? Or you came eighth, or you matched your teammate when he had uh, an engine issue? It's very possible. But I I guess if the bar is low, you – I mean, I, I think it's a, a smart technique if you're Schumacher to set the bar low. So then when you achieve just the very bare minimum, <laughs> okay. which is like two points – you actually seem like you've done a very impressive job. And that's technically, you know, my podcasting technique as well. Yeah. Set the bar very low from the <laughs> beginning. Oh, we feel and then you. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I make like half of a cogent point, it's like, wow, she did a really good job. Yeah. So I, res- I respect that if that's what he was going for. Listen to my intros. We do exactly, we do the same thing here. But Matt, you're a Haas apologist. How do you see this drama? Well, I, I so I see it first of all. I don't think Gunther is really too concerned with what Mick thinks about him in the first place. Yeah. So uh, as secondly, I would agree. I, I think if Schumacher was upset with Steiner, he would have gone to him and they would have talked about it because what we've heard drive to survive, notwithstanding, but what we've heard from both Grosjean and Magnuson is that, mm. you know, he's not this Martinet, this screamy shouty person all the time. And that a lot of stuff that was, seems very dramatic uh, on TV behind closed doors when, put it into context is, is yeah. kind of sort of normal, but I will make the point about Schumacher. Yeah. 
because because you foolishly let me talk. And One, this stop. is proving out my point that this is really his rookie year and that last year didn't count no, at all because he didn't have no. a real Formula One car and he didn't have a real Formula oh, One teammate. Like I don't like that and argument. Two, I, two, I, everybody who talks about Schumacher says the following thing. It takes him time to warm up to stuff. It was his second year that he always did better. And we're starting, and Magnuson has admitted, we're starting to see him on pace with Magnuson on a regular basis. So I say we're now entering the period where you should start to judge him as, as a driver. Like he's had the experience. It's how's he going to do from here out that's going to matter. Well, I don't, I don't want to expose my working class chip that is is dripping off my shoulder in front of our new friend Jessica. But like, if I'm on the radio and I make a mistake or I, I do a bad run, I'm going to got, get got rid of. If, if if they've got Uncle Derek, who's a producer at Five Live, they're going to get chance after chance. This is the problem that I have, Jessica, is just that he's going to keep getting chances. I don't see any other driver getting a, a second freebie rookie season. That's possibly fair however i don't know if that necessarily answers the question of the conflict between gunther and and oh, schumacher okay, yeah. but but wouldn't yeah. wouldn't wouldn't schumacher have been forced on gunther steiner to a certain extent who ha- which drivers haven't been forced on him? okay that's a good point <laughs> what, what do we reckon we reckon that haas get one and ferrari get one that's kind of my guess yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I would think so. But I mean, you're conveniently leaving out people like Stroll and Latifi, who've had endless amounts of time to yeah. get better. We had Maldonado, who eventually won a race. I mean, oh, this is nothing new. Okay. Schumacher yeah, 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 is yeah, on yeah, par yeah, with his yeah, teammate yeah. right now. And if you count this as his first real season, it's taken him half a season to get there. So I don't okay, think it's okay. I don't think he's that far off the mark, okay. honestly. Jessica has a lot more access to to teams and we have because we we did see we saw you in the paddock at miami getting in the way of uh, ted kravitz and in fact doing the intro to the sky broadcast which was awesome yeah i snuck my way into the pit lane on accident <laughs> ended up getting bumped into by ted kravitz he later on came up to me and told me that he listens to my formula one minute on the levitar oh, show nice. which is something that's probably been stolen from this show yes. uh and Matt's then asked me to seconds, do yeah asked me to do an intro for their package on Miami. So I don't, I'm still like kind of shocked about how that whole thing unfolded (laughs) because they'll basically just let anyone on Sky Sports. Is Ted Kravitz. Yeah, no, they even let me on Sky Sports on any Driven Monday for for a week. They said they'd have me back, but I think they're being polite. But uh, (laughs) what was Ted Kravitz like? I've got a feeling, uh, he's very uh, polarizing. If you speak to fans, some people love him. Some people like find him annoying. Yeah, but. but Oh, I've. I found him totally charming. He Great. was very nice. Yeah, I, I'm glad because to me, I think he is uniquely Ted Kravitz. And like, that's a role that he's made that I don't think anyone else could do. I agree. I It's like sideline reporting from a pit lane, yeah. but he also runs around like the entire track during races. <laughs> I can't imagine doing what he does. Yeah. But just the noise level alone and having been on the on the in the pit lane for maybe like 20 seconds before being like, oh, my God, I do not belong here. I'm going to get run over by <laughs> wait, a car. Wait, wait, wait. Why don't you belong there? I had never, well, it was my first Formula oh, One race. Okay. I'd never covered any event like this. I didn't know the proper etiquette. When you cover, you know, football games, you kind of like pick up on etiquette from other reporters and media people there's usually like an sports information director like telling you where you need to be but this was like no one had given me any instructions so i was just totally like deer in the headlights staring (laughs) down the pit lane while cars were starting to move in and out and, and stuff so anyways i uh i don't remember what the question was but 
I have my my brain is melting in the hot, <laughs> no, in no, the hot no. room so, right now. But so yes, I, Ted Ted bumped into me and yeah. I was I was shaken up and so then I was just I being nosy because you've uh, because you've met the stars. But also, <laughs> but at, at Miami there was a lot of like quote unquote new americans there as well so yes. i'm sure the likes of ted well oh, it's another it's another it's another yank you know, they, 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 there's, right. there's hordes of them here oh yes mm. absolutely there were i there were so many nfl reporters there that i think just yeah kind that of seems were to like be a thing <laughs> around yeah well i mean i think the dolphins uh you know the the nfl team that hosted the race and that is the team that plays at the Hard Rock where the race was. I think they were trying to get as many media people from around Miami to yeah. go to so that they could then kind of Obviously create, do, some create buzz. their reach. It worked for me. I talked about it for months before and after. My friends want me to shut up about it, but I can't. So No, 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 don't. Don't don't ever shut up about it. But I will I'll I'll needle your kind of your insight a little more cuz you you know you do get a little bit of access. But uh, you described on another podcast, you described Gunter Steiner as the Michael Jordan of of F1 meme, memes basically as like a meme merchant. He does like on the whole he seems like a friendly guy. You know, we saw the scenes when Roman Grosjean had that tire that didn't go on in in Australia. We were just talking about it with um, Mike Caulfield, the former Haas strategist, and and Roman Grosjean went over and and like hugged the guy, and he was like, "No, don't worry, don't worry." The, the team atmosphere it does seem genuinely. Obviously, they're passionate. Obviously, they're going to fall out, but it does seem like a place that seem, that people kind of love to work. So, as mean as Steiner can come across, you do get the feeling that that's a place where you know you'd put your kid there on work experience. No, I mean, there's a specific scene, again, from Drive to Survive, which obviously he could have been hamming this up for the cameras, where <laughs> he was sure joking he was. about Grosjean not deserving to eat dinner because he didn't show <laughs> up to, like, this banquet that they okay. were at. And right. I, that has stuck with me because I, I totally can see where, you know, people are coming from who say that this management style is what you need as an athlete to kind of be able to push yourself. That management style has never worked for me as mm. either an athlete or an employee or anything else. Like, it really rubs me the wrong way when people talk like that to me. However, listening to someone talk that way to someone else, uh, I think is can be very funny <laughs> and humorous. Yeah. Therefore, he has become the Michael Jordan of memes, which I actually do not remember saying. So please don't quote back anything else I've ever said on any podcast to me, because uh, I do a lot of these and I probably <laughs> probably say too many things. But um, yeah, I think that that's, that's definitely true. I, I, so I saw him at Miami and it was like one of the first people i saw in person that i recognized and so i was a little starstruck so oh, yeah you probably yeah. probably heard me saying that to kevin clark <laughs> no that's fair <laughs> it's interesting what you say about the mentality of management styles it's not really something we've talked about on this show uh, a lot and i will say for full disclosure i'm 41 years old i'm a i'm a later in life liberal you know like I've, it's taken me a long way to kind of get to being a, a reasonably decent human being. So so earlier in my career, I definitely did have that, have that kind of, you know, toxic management style, that kind of born in toxic masculinity where, like, you must face adversity, Matt. You must be forged in the fires of conflict to get the best out of you. I have no idea what you're talking about growing up in the 70s and 80s. Exactly. Yeah, None. exactly. That, 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 that just like completely right over yeah, my head. It's a generational thing. So it would be interesting. <laughs> Obviously, we don't really have the, the insight um, to, to determine what management styles are like. But we had the opportunity to speak to some people in, in Mercedes. And, and we asked Mike Caulfield again, who was a, a Mercedes guy before he went to Haas, about whether they really did have a, a, a no-blame culture at Mercedes and and the conflict between that and 
Ferrari, where it seems like they have a, a maximum blame uh, culture, you know, like my marriage. So, yeah, yeah, so my marriage is much more like Ferrari than it is Mercedes. So, yeah, so that difference in management styles really does lead to different cultures, which is to be expected into, in, in an international sport uh, to some extent. But, yeah, so, so let's see. Let's see that unfold. As far as I'm seeing it at the moment, I feel like Mick Schumacher has, has seen a, a spike where he is doing what is expected. At the moment, he's hitting the minimum standard for the last few races. That, that swallow does not a summer make for me. But I'm going to delve into the mailbag because I think I've got an interesting question here from, from New York, from New Jersey. Is New York, New Jersey, Matt? Is that the same? Oh, God, no. Is it not? Okay. What no. Have I, what have I done? Don't you dare. Have I done a, have I done a, have I done a racism? New Jersey is okay. a perfectly fine place unless you're from New York. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so Nick from New Jersey says, um, I've been an F1 fan for a few years. I find myself consuming as much F1 content as possible. Your podcast is my go-to. I appreciate the depth in which you preview and review races. Thank you very much for that. Nick says, we improve his understanding of F1. Well, you may think that. Best listen to some other stuff as well, just to check that we're not leading you down a, a garden path here. But his question is, and this could take us some time, you might need a notepad and pen. If every current F1 driver was placed in the exact same car, I figure a completely balanced and neutral one, possibly an average car currently on the grid. And, and I would add to this, maybe it could be adjusted to each driver's driver style. We know, says Nick, the skill of drivers like Max and Lewis. However, it is sometimes difficult to separate drivers beyond the top, say, three or four, and different rides will contribute to our our, our opinions of drivers differently. Thank you for your consideration. This is an absolutely massive question. So if every F1 driver was placed into the exact same car, I think the question might be, who would be a surprise? So I think we'd all agree, and I'll look for nods from the panel, that we're putting Max Lewis... I think George Russell is showing himself to, to be up there. Charles Leclerc. Oh, we saw a slight tilt of the head from Jessica. George Russell, Jessica. Well, I think you. I think if you look at the other contenders, he might be on the fringe right now. See, but the thing is, okay, so counterclaim, counterpoint that comes from the internet is he's leading Lewis Hamilton in the championship right now. Okay, counterclaim to your counterclaim. He's nice. driving the same car <laughs> as Lewis Hamilton. Valtteri Bottas also drove that car for a while, has won 10 races, I think, yeah. on the grid. I feel like he's kind of on the fringe equally with Russell if you're going to make that, if you're going to put Russell in. Yeah, and thing is, though, a lot of people, Matt, aren't considering what's been going on at Mercedes this season. Yeah, you knew I was going to say that. <laughs> yeah, I saw you good. trying to head me off there. Yeah, Lewis yeah. has been a walking guinea pig for Mercedes yeah. running extra weight and extra equipment. And they'll say, oh, no, that didn't affect him at all. Mm. But it, frequently that'll be in Friday practices. He's been hamstringing if you'll pardon the slight pun there, himself a bit, in order to help the team improve. But as as they've been getting the same cars and as the development has come on, I think we're starting to see why Hamilton is Hamilton and why Russell is still uh, in, I don't know, shall we call it a learning capacity a bit at Mercedes. I would say if you were going to, to grant uh, Russell the, the same thing we grant other drivers in new teams, which was we always give them six months grace. So in his first half season at Mercedes, experiments or no, George Russell has been consistent. Like, forget about the comparison to Lewis Hamilton, Jessica. He has at least been 
top five in a in a dog of a car. Yes, maybe not. Maybe he's been acting as the kind of the the control group, if you like. But he's still the last few races aside, he's still been getting results. Agreed. It's. I think that one's still up for debate. I think we need to fill out the rest of our oh, roster okay. before we. But you we did agree compare him to Bottas, and Bottas was an awfully long way behind Hamilton overall. I can't see Russell being that far behind. Okay, fair. Oh, okay, Matt. Well, I'm going to say I think what we could agree on right now is that we're going to put Max, Lewis, and Leclerc on this list, Le- which ah. means we're really only arguing about three spots. Not yeah. six. Okay. So, and there's an awful lot of talented drivers that you're going to potentially be stuffing into those three slots. And I, I'm I'm with Jessica on this one. Does Russell deserve consideration? And does he maybe make it? Yeah. But does he actually, actually make it in absolutely neutral yeah, circumstances? All right. Uh, yeah, I yeah, don't right. know, man. It's like there or thereabouts. It would be the the best long-term achievement of any driver against Lewis Hamilton if he was able to to overcome him over the course of... Let, let's say that let, this six months, even if you were to trash it and say, well, we, we're going to forgive Russell the six months to get up to speed and we're also going to forget about the experiments. Let's talk about the next six months. If Russell finishes ahead of Hamilton, he'll, he'll do kind of better than any other teammate of Hamilton's. So if we need to fill out three more spots, how about we reverse engineer this? Okay. So who's not? Who who is definitely out? (laughs) Yes. Okay. You go first. Uh, Okay. Nicholas Latifi is out. Sure. Agreed. (laughs) Lance Stroll. Oh, Matt, was that that a no? I I was laughing. I was like, you chose the most most unassailable (laughs) one to start with. Very, very clever. I'm Mm. impressed. Number two, Lance Stroll. Can we all agree on that? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. And and before people send emails, I, I have often said that given the opportunity Lance Stroll has had... He has turned himself into a, a pretty useful Formula One driver. He, he would be a solid number two. I think if you were Haas or uh, maybe uh, maybe not Alpine, but maybe uh, a Toro Rosso or an Alfa Tori that wasn't connected to Red Bull. If you were like a midfield team and you had a promising rookie and you wanted a solid known entity number two, I think Lance Stroll has done well enough that you might pay him a few quid to be your your solid number two. And that's the greatest compliment I can possibly give to Lance Stroll. But he has done that with the with the greatest opportunity that any Formula One driver has ever had from a paid driver seat. So in that context, Jessica, I'll agree with you. Lance Stroll, for sure. I love the disclaimer. Can we yeah. put both Haas can we put both Haas's in this group? We can put Schumacher in that group. But you're going to put Kevin Magnus in that group. Hang on. Let me just check how many Danish downloads we get. Hang on. Two seconds. <laughs> no, I disagree strongly with that, Jessica. Okay. So we can't agree on that. Okay. Well, we'll put him off to the side. <laughs> so hang now. on. No, no, no. Let, let's focus on that. Why would okay. you not put Magnus in, in that group? Why are you putting Magnus in, in fact, in the group where we can easily dismiss them? I think there are three very clear, better drivers than him that I could name. Oh, just I see. Off okay. That's fair. Head. That's fair. And And to be fair, we have seen... Uh, Magnussen up against top drivers enough. And he's had a kind of Perez-y, Hulkenberg-y career. You'd probably put him between Perez and Hulkenberg, probably on the list of of journeyman drivers. And, and some people will get upset about that. Sorry, Danes. But, uh, but I, I think that's probably fair, isn't it? He's in that kind of zone. 
He got a podium okay. in his first ever race. So oh, come know. on! Didn't didn't they get disqualified? He got he got he got third, didn't he? And then he got second because Red Bull cheated, allegedly yeah. cheated. Okay, allegedly yeah, cheated. Yeah, allegedly cheated. Twenty thirteen traction control, etc. But okay, so who else are we going to eliminate from the grid at this point? I think we can probably get rid of Joe and Sonoda out of that top list. Just Sonoda okay. has potential, not proven, and I think Joe even more so of that. Can we eliminate anyone else? Alex Albon. <gasps> oh, fight, 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 It was a, it was fight, a question, fight. it was a question. No, was no, no, question. no, Trumpet no, takes you now. You <laughs> have to defend it now, you have to defend it now. No, Matt, you defend it. Why should Albon have a shot at this, This, you know, we're saying top six here, aren't we? Uh, my honest opinion, I don't think we've ever really seen how good Albon is. I mm. mean, I think, he was, I, think he was, I think he was too far behind at Red Bull to give us an honest look. Yeah. And now he's at Williams and is too far behind for different reasons to give us an honest look, except for obviously he's, he's Russell-esque when compared to Latifi, which yeah, yeah. And any, any, that's yeah. not the highest of bars, I, admittedly, but I, we don't have enough information to judge. I guess that's what I'm trying any to say. Any teammate of Latifi is suddenly Mr. Saturday is the, is the main takeaway there. And look, if you look at Albon and Gasly, they did very similarly as the number yeah. two driver at Red Bull. Gasly has had the opportunity to look good against a rookie, whereas um, whereas Albon, he had a season out. Yeah. And then, and has, he, and then he lost yeah. the whole season. Yeah. yeah. And, and then he's gone in against Latifi, which is kind of no bar at all. But I think, I think Jessica, at least your point is fair in that he hasn't done anything to show us he's of the top six talents in the world at the moment. Whereas I think there are probably four or five drivers left that have that we could oh, okay, probably okay, get okay. in the minutia of if oh, okay, they okay, still okay. have it or not. We're, we're getting close. This is a really good question, Nick, by the way. We're getting really close. So Ricardo is the next one. Equal cars suited to them. Do you, Jessica, put Ricardo anywhere near there? I don't know. Okay, well, do you put... Lando anywhere near there? <gasps> yes. Okay. At the moment, well, yes. Well, hold on. One of those drivers has won with McLaren, and one has not. <laughs> yeah, one of those drivers was told to not let the, you know, to not overtake the other driver at Monza last year. That's the one we're talking about here. I understand that, and also Ricardo, he must have won races at Red Bull. Did he win a race at Red Bull? Did he not? Uh, oh. Let me check my notes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Check the notes there. <laughs> but also, you like, Ricardo looked very impressive, obviously, against Daniel Ricardo, was kind of matching Verstappen to a point, and then, you know, and then obviously looked good at, at Renault, and, and now is looking like his kind of stock has fallen. I don't think that Daniel Ricardo enters this conversation as our top six drivers. I think Ricardo, as much as, hang on, let me check the Aussie downloads. No, there's not very many. That's fine. Daniel Ricardo, I think, is in that same kind of journeyman classification that we're talking about um you know perez uh holkenberg um who's the other driver that we mentioned earlier but you know he's at magnuson he's in that kind of bracket of a very solid drivers but against the very top uh, like lando norris has he performed no is lando norris fancied as one of the top drivers he was one of those dream crop wasn't he with george russell albon where we went, here's this new crop of of drivers coming through that's going to set the world alight. And has Lando Norris put a foot wrong, basically? You know, he looked good against Sainz. He's looked good against Ricardo. I think there's an argument to say he'd have a chance at the top six. Well, I'm very biased because I am a, a Lando Norris oh, fan. Oh, I see. Now it comes out. You should have led with that, you see. 
we we're very neutral here on this Apex podcast, though, Jessica. I've heard, we don't, I've yeah. heard, but I do th- I do think Lando probably falls on the fringe around the same as a couple other drivers I'd put in like that sixth or seventh spot. I think uh, an interesting one here would be, and uh, people are pointing out that our video producer is um, Australian. So if you see a a fake moustache or like flames coming out of my head at this point, you'll understand why. I think one of the most interesting ones, Matt, is, is Gasly as well, whether Gasly would fit into this top six in exactly the same car. It, It, Gasly is a really hard one for me. But I'm going to go no. And I just feel like there's a certain, at at this point, I'm not going to say he's never going to get there. But by skill, I'm I'm assuming like all around 100% qualifying race performance, getting the maximum out of the package more than anyone else around you, not just a single race or a single lap. Mm. And on that, I feel like Gasly still got some little... Okay. Some little mistakes, some little inconsistencies relative to some other drivers I can think of. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The last one I want to address. This is aimed at you, Matt. I'm going to put you. I'm going to put you on trial, like like Picard. Sure. Uh, 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 you can uh, see uh, how bothered like, I am like, by this like concept. Picard in the witness stand against Q for the existence of the human race. I'm going to mm-hmm. ask you, Esteban Ocon. Yes, Esteban Ocon or Pierre. Hundred percent. I didn't say the second part yet. Okay, Esteban Ocon or Pierre Gasly. Ocon. Okay, okay. But, but where does your justification for putting Ocon ahead of Gasly come from? Um, I just look at his performance this season versus Alonso. Okay. Um, where he is double on point in a car that's clearly being developed to be fast for Fernando. And I would go Ooh. back even further. I will go all the way back to Spa when he drove for Force India, and it was a wet qualifying. And now not everybody has this as a standard, but it's always been a thing to me to be to do well in the wet. He qualified in a Force India third, third 
in a Force India in his first or second year in Formula One. Ooh. So to me, he's always been the complete package. He's amazingly consistent. Yeah. He makes very few errors. And even when you don't give him a great starting place on the grid, he will make the absolute most of it. Okay. And, you know, I think he's, again, look at, look at what he's done against Fernando. Okay. He's had a year out of the sport. Look at him being able to come back. He's driven different cars, different engines, and been successful with them, which certain people, Ricardo, have not been able to do. Okay, okay, okay. A little peek behind the curtain. I, I ask Matt questions about Ocon so that I've got time to turn the fan on, have a drink, write a, a chapter of my latest book, Spanners, behind the mic. So, Ocon you claim is doing well because he's going well against Fernando Alonso. Fernando Alonso is my age and all my bones hurt. So I don't think that's an, a major achievement. I'm an Alonso fan. I actually am going to put Alonso in that top six for me in equal cars, um, even if we grant him his peak. But I think even now as well, how, how, do, how in America land, because Matt doesn't count because he's anglicized, how in America land does Fernando Alonso come across to say, let's say to the newer fans, to the drive to survive uh, crowd, Jessica? Uh, well, I would say he probably comes across as like a kind of a cool, stoic elder statesman because yeah, I don't think he's... Alonso. <laughs> Uncle Alonso. Yeah, Fernando. I, would, I would say so. Yeah. 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 And the thing is, though, he's very outspoken, obviously, but you can see the raw paces there. I, what do you think of my case of putting him in this top six? I would agree with you. Nice. No. So what do we do? What do we do with uh, our second Ferrari driver, Carlos Sainz? Oh, okay, let's make that and the our... last one. Okay, tell me what. Tell, tell us okay. what you think, and Matt can can yell at you, uh, presumably. Well, okay, I guess we'd have to reverse engineer my top six. Okay, then. good. So we ha- we have Hamilton, Verstappen. Yeah. Who, who else did we all agree on? Leclerc. Yeah, Leclerc. I think those are the yeah. three that are you just have to take as a given. I think I think I think Norris and Russell we we have as kind of we think so. But need to on, the, show, on the border, yeah. but we have to do something with Sebastian Vettel. We have to do something with Carlos Sainz, and we have to do something with Sergio Perez. Interesting. I feel like they're all. Oh. I could see an argument for all three of those. So I'm I'm a massive Sergio Perez fan, but on the top Trump's card, I I, I just have to. I just have to say, no, he's not going to be in the top six drivers in, in the same car, in the same car, in the same rally car. Um, he's got great overall statistics, um, but he's peaky. You know, he's got skills in certain areas, is weak in other areas. And I, I don't think he is the top trump card that you want. I like him. I like his driving style. I like how he can tease out a race. I'm not going to put him in my top six even though I'm a massive fan of it. Who, who's the other one? Signs Again, at, at the moment, it's really hard to put signs in that top six. Would you make a case? Um, I think you could make a case. If a few races had not ended in such... Oh, you're ho- forgiving. You know, Ferrari ways this season. <laughs> I think he would be on par with Charles Leclerc. That I, is that con- that's controversial, but Matt is going to love that. I do love that. Signs is one of my favorite racers, but I will always, always say that I think he has a slight weakness in qualifying and always has compared to almost anyone he's raced. So if we're defining skill yeah. by ability to score points in a race solely, yeah, then I think Signs absolutely belongs on that. And he's one of the most intelligent racers I think we've seen in a while. And you can see his arc at Ferrari and how he deals with strategy versus a Leclerc and make a really comparison but i feel Stop like that's inventing. not what 
Yeah, I think that's good, not man. what was meant by skill in this question. <laughs> so that's how I'm answering. No, it. so 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 to me, this question is basically who's got the overall top trump, you know, cards. Who, who's got the skills all across those? And I, I don't feel like Perez and Signs, you know, meet the the high bar that we're setting. The last one you mentioned is Vettel. I have to say, I've never really rated Vettel. His championships to me count as one because it was such a dominant era and he could have won 2009. Oh, he nearly gosh. dumped 2010. He nearly dumped 2012. So what? for me... Your address at MissedApex.net for all the love mail that's coming Matt to you. at MissedApex.net. <laughs> if you want to send that back. But no, look, I, I said at the time Vettel was overrated and then he came against... I, I like him. I think he's a great ambassador for the sport and he seems very nice. He's got a strong dad energy that I can relate with relate to but his career post Red Bull and that dominant era has kind of backed up everything I was saying during that time another question Matt no 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 there's no time there's no time for a counterclaim uh, Matt have you got a question from the mailbag uh, that, sorry it's not my fault but Nick's question was amazing so have you got no it was yeah. I, I could see it easily eating up an entire yeah, show yeah, yeah, yeah. quite honestly um, tires or floors tires alright we have our friend uh, Chris Asking the very cogent question, it seems that in one stops, the stop is early in the race. Mm. Wouldn't theoretically a one stop be closer to halfway through the race? And then he wants to know the technical reasons why tires last longer in the second stint. And I can simply say it's because tires are magic <laughs> and they do things that nobody <laughs> understands. That wouldn't be wrong if you talk to a tire engineer because they don't always understand them. But oh. actually, in this case, yeah. there's a more straightforward answer. The standard one stop is to start on a softer tire at the beginning of the race, switch off of it onto a harder tire and go to the end of the race. The reason that softer tire doesn't last to closer to halfway is one, because there's no more refueling. The cars are extra heavy because all the fuel is on board for the whole race. And that burns off lap after lap after lap. The, the cars get lighter and the harder compounds are more durable but at the expense of some grip. Yeah. So starting with a lighter car and a harder compound, which is where you are after your only stop and a one stop, you can actually go much farther uh, and usually to the end of the race. So usually you'll see a pit stop. It depends a bit on the track and how, how, how much the tires are going to get dinged up. But usually you would expect to be somewhere between lap 18 and lap 24 of like say a 60 or 70 lap race and yeah. then the the rest of it would be doable on a hard tire if it's that kind of a track chris followed up actually and just said i'm so sorry if this is a, a stupid question but I, I don't think it is at all particularly if no. you're you're new to the sport because the pirelli kind of tire allocation and the way the tires wear and how long they last and whether they overheat or not are now integral to the sport it was a bit of a shock when it sort of first came in they used to be a basically a, a tire war like an engine war you picked a tire manufacturer and yes. if you had the better tire ma manufacturer i.e your michael schumacher and it was specifically designed to you and you had all the input for the testing um that would be an advantage the same way the mercedes engine was an advantage in 2014 w whereas with pirelli coming in it's become an integral part of the sport and the tactics and initially basically pirelli uh, had a race where suddenly the tires were only lasting a handful of laps 
and there was like a five-stop race at Suzuka, I think. And everyone went, oh my goodness, that is a brilliant idea. We should do that forever. Then we got to Silverstone 2013 and all the tyres started blowing up and Silverstone uh, and Pirelli said, oh my goodness, we'd best make sure the tyres don't blow up all the time. And then we ended, ended up in this kind of dearth map where it was Pirelli being too scared to have exploding tyres. And and if you'll remember, there was a there was a big period where everyone was calling Pirelli tyres chocolate tyres. And I think their sales might have even suffered and their reputation suffered. Yum. Oh yeah, chocolate tyres would be great. But I don't know if you know that far back, Jessica, but uh, but people were certainly not. Okay. But people <laughs> were honestly saying like, oh Pirelli can't make good tyres. That's clearly not the case. They can, but they were instructed to make tyres that would degrade. But now it's an integral part of, of the tactics of, of Formula One. And, and that's quite a hard thing to get across to, to newer fans to say, you know, well, why? Why do these tyres wear out? Yeah, well, that's, there's a reason this was at oh. the top of my list to answer because it is integral to understanding. And it is, a, it is such a great question mm. because it doesn't make sense. Why in a one stop would you stop a third of the way through and then have tires that last two yeah. thirds of the way through? Big reason, fuel burnoff. Mm. Big reason because the tires they tend to go on to are meant to go for more laps before they run out of grip and durability. And I will say regarding 2013 that absolutely the teams brought that on themselves by running tires on the wrong sides Daddy. and in the wrong directions, despite Pirelli telling them not to. Oh my God, to. whatever, Matt. I'm not a details guy. Uh, Jessica, obviously you've done a, a lot of American F1 podcasts. Uh, how, how does it relate to like other American motorsports? Do, 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 people, do people get, do people appreciate, do people like the, the fact that the Pirelli tire compounds are such a massive part of the sport? Well, I think the, the point about the refueling is something that is very different from NASCAR, which is the biggest motorsport, yeah. uh, you know, series in the, in the still? US. Still? Mm, probably, oh, okay. yeah, still. Mm. Even <laughs> though it's only like the, this, you know, one corner. Yeah, okay. right. You only, you only go this way the whole time. Um, Are you a NASCAR fan? I am not. Oh, and, okay. and I'm not an IndyCar fan either, mm. even though I've been told by all of the fans of the show that I'm on that I should watch <laughs> IndyCar because it yeah. is very similar to Formula One, but American is what I've told. I, I don't I don't mind the oval racing, to be honest. Like when I've when I've watched bits and bobs of it or when I've done it on a sim or whatever, I, I can see and I can appreciate the, the tactics, but uh, it doesn't have that kind of fundamental racing attack and defend that I particularly appreciate. But, you know, but getting back to the tyres, you know, do, do, do fans in America feel like it's a, like a distraction? And that, that's my fear is that people will go, just get tyres that work the whole race. I don't think so. I think that's mm. what is interesting is the, stra- the, the amount of variance that a team could make the wrong choice uh, or, you know, that something could happen right before the race starts and everyone has to change their <laughs> yes. strategy at the last minute, which we've seen happen a few times now. Um, I think that's actually what makes it more interesting. Uh, but I, I don't know. I don't have my finger on the pulse <laughs> of all the other Americans. If I did, I would no. have a better yeah, answer. No, you, you must speak for all Americans because, you know, because we, we've changed Matt. We've ruined him too much. I think uh, we'll end on one question. If you don't mind, I'll, I'll pick it out, guys. Um, we don't, I know you've got a flight to catch jessica don't don't miss the flight for us just disappear if you need to Uh, but we've got a message here from from joey 
who says, I'm sick of seeing someone hunting down a car in front. They've got them right where they want. The car in front makes a defensive move that essentially uh, boils down to breaking way too late and cutting a corner. Or they come out on track uh, and and just keep driving by going off the track. Um, Even if the delta stays the same, they've got a massive advantage uh, than they would have got before being overtaken. And, And the example here that probably helps Joey's point is Montreal, so before the, the the wall of champions. If you just cut that corner, obviously like you can go uh, you can go toe to toe in a breaking battle, cut that corner, and then the car that takes the corner has an advantage. And I think in recent years, like at Sochi, at Montreal, um, I think at Imola as well, if you miss the corner, you have to go through some cones that slow you down. But as Alonso has proved I think on many occasions you can just go through those corners and, and 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 take them just as fast. So Joey suggests if you cut a corner with a car less than one second behind you, you have to give up a position to that car as well as getting a, a warning. So his example was Joe at Monaco. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, the Nouveau chicane at Monaco yeah. after the tunnel. Uh, coming down the hill into the chicane, defending Gasly. No need to defend. Just cut right through and take a warning. So... Should they do something to clamp down on this? Who fancies a crack? Jessica. Didn't did, wasn't there a missed Apex episode? Maybe maybe it was after Canada. I can't recall where we got into a very es- not we because I wasn't on it, but you got into a very esoteric uh, commentary on what even is an Apex. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like Brad. That'll be Brad. I, I, do, I feel like this is one of those things that would be very hard to mm. enforce. Well, the thing is, if you're in a if you're in a wheel to wheel battle, you're in the breaking zone. You're losing that breaking zone battle. Why not just come off the brakes and just go straight on? Because we never see that penalised. I'm going to say I think we've seen it penalised once at Canada with Rosberg and Hamilton, where Rosberg was ahead, missed the corner, and just kept it. He he literally just kept it penned all the way through the the runoff and came back on maybe a second second and a half in front of Hamilton and I do believe that he got a penalty for that but it didn't matter because Hamilton's brakes exploded so he couldn't finish the race yeah. anyway but I actually I like this solution very much if you are ahead and and miss the corner because you're fighting on well, that's breaking, the question yeah then then you are forced to yield the position I mean I I think that that I think Outside of maybe the first lap, yeah. What would that would do though? Yes, maybe. Yes, you're right. That could come into force later on. But what that would do is it would reward pressure. So if someone's putting on enough pressure from behind and you force an error, they get told to to let you by. And I think, but that would work better in spec series where then the car that was behind has an equal chance of putting pressure on and forcing a mistake. Obviously, a lot of the time here, you know, in Formula One, it's a, a faster car coming through. They force a mistake and, and they're going to just be gone. Um, so are we are we risking stifling racing by just going, well, you can't even attempt to, to defend. You can't even attempt to go fast or, or hold a gap because the second you make a mistake, we're going to make you switch positions. Well, I don't think it's make a mistake. It's make mm. a mistake where you go completely off track and come back on. Yeah. But but you haven't lost any ground to the person who's trying to pass you, mm. and and to me that's the difference. It's not, oh, I've made you know if I'm if I'm a second ahead, and I miss my breaking point and go off track, and I come back on and I slow down so that I'm still a second ahead. 
I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I think we're talking about one or two tenths and I miss my breaking point and then I come back on track mm. and now I'm a second ahead and then maybe I slow down some, but you now have to chase me for another lap yeah. to get round. But, but I think, you know, if you look at like say Canada where Sebastian Vettel, I think it was like in 2017, 2018, the last time Ferrari were in with a proper shot. And do you remember he, yeah. he flew off, I think the third chicane and then came yes. back on and squeezed over the grass. Yeah, 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 and then squeezed Hamilton off. And and loads of people were going, "Oh, well, you know, it's just a racing incident. Why did he get a penalty?" I don't think the F1 zeitgeist, I don't know if I'm using that word properly, it, it, it incorporates the the coming off track as just a hard no. And and this is why I think with track limits, th- this is kind of the soul of racing that we've still yet to fight for is once you leave the track how much should you be penalised for that? You know, Jessica, like, you know, can can you ever race off track or is it once you leave the track, bring out the firing squad? Well, I'm, I'm trying to think <laughs> of like the American football equivalent, which I know in American football, if you're running, you know, if the quarterback's down the sidelines, right? Throw the ball and you run out of bounds and then you come back in bounds, you have to reestablish yourself back in bounds before you can make a play on the football. I believe that's the current yeah. rule. So you're not really allowed to use the out of bounds to your advantage uh, in that way. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's not really a great comparison, but uh, well, just, it, it, is an, it, it is a really gr- interesting question. I think it is a good comparison because all the sports I love, soccer, being sensitive to you guys, soccer, right? Where you kick it with your feet. Um, soccer, cricket, all those sports have a line and like they have distinct rules about them. And it's always upset me really with Formula One that they don't just just have that and stick to it. It doesn't. But, but I don't know. I think Formula One fans are kind of like, oh, you're ruining racing unless you let them run off the gravel, skid off the track, do a backflip and then come back on. And, and you know, they think it's like a, a you know, who, who's that Lightning McQueen? That's what they want. They want an episode of Lightning McQueen. But anyway, uh, we could argue about those rules. Um uh, for hours and, hour- and hours but I, I do like the suggestion that going off track completely should be slightly more uh, dealt with slightly more punitively so yes you cannot defend by going off track and just going oh sorry my bad i'm back on track and i'm still in front so yeah uh, i'd agree you could say a second you could say half a second you could set your own boundary but it doesn't feel like you should keep your place if you go off track good Thank you very much for that question. Uh, last one, Jessica, if you've got time, you pointed this one out to me. Um, I, I won't really go into the the politics of this, but it's a question about Andretti. So Aaron says, uh, thank you for the continued quality. Or we could say consistent quality. Like Jessica says, we started off low. We've maintained that level. Thanks for the continued quality. Much appreciated. Regarding the Andretti entry, are we expecting that eventually they'll be given the green light or is there just a block on them entry, uh, entering? I get the impression F1 is trying to get car manufacturers back into the sports and not interested in independence, which is a real shame. I'll say straight away, Aaron, uh, we don't know the answer to that. But the, the question I want to pose to Jessica, as, as an American and as an American sports journalist and reporter is, am I right, do you think, in my assertion that Formula 1 is heading to a franchise system? And to UK listeners, it might be useful if you could help us understand what franchise sports kind of means, because it is ubiquitous within US sports that it's kind of this closed door franchise system. 
Right. It's a closed system, so you can't be relegated out of it yeah. or promoted into it. My my boyfriend really wanted me to make the comparison to like franchising a Nando's. <laughs> okay, um, okay. But really? I, I would I don't really know the restaurant business, so I'll just explain. Well, get him on. Get him to defend himself. <laughs> I know. Uh <laughs> but in the NFL, essentially there's thirty two teams and then there's a centralized league body that governs the thirty two teams, but the thirty two teams have thirty two owners that are voting on who the governing body is so they're really like the central nfl body based in new york is voted on by the 32 owners so back in 1999 there were only 31 teams and uh this was the most recent expansion team this is how teams get added um a guy in houston decided he wanted to bring football the nfl back to houston because their team had left to go to nashville so he put together a big group uh, with a lot of money and then they were awarded a team in Houston by the NFL. So all the other uh-huh. owners agreed to let him in basically. And he paid, I think at the time it was $700 million to be part of it. And so like the $700 million offsets the, uh, you know, split revenue oh, fees. Okay, that's interesting. Cause in F1, they're talking about a 200 euro fee for a new team for, for, for 200, right. 200 million I, yeah for the same reason for the same reason i i imagine if an nfl franchise were to open today yeah. it would be much much oh, really? higher because okay. <laughs> the, the league has appreciated mm. in value even since 1999 um but es- essentially so that's kind of how it works the houston team started up a couple years later there was an expansion draft etc cetera, etc cetera. i think the the difference with this model and with formula one is that the nfl model is heavily based on geography and bringing teams to new right, yeah. uh, TV markets. Whereas in Formula One, obviously all the, you know, there's no, there's no home stadium for a team where they make <laughs> revenue off of tickets yes. and that sort of thing. But, yeah. Yeah. It's Th- there is, Spielberg it's, begs to differ. No, no, no. There, there's <laughs> the odd one. So yes, the Red Bull ring is right, obviously for right, Red Bull, Monza, right. typically associated with Ferrari, Silverstone, everyone else. <laughs> Um, but you can't just because you have a lot of money, you can't buy your way sure. into the yeah. NFL. So there have been pretty famous examples like Donald Trump tried to buy the Buffalo Bills oh, okay. uh, eight years ago, I believe, when their owner died and he wasn't uh, he didn't get the team. The Pagula family got the team and that's decided on by, you know, the amount of money you have. Apparently he had some maybe allegedly falsified financial documents. So that might have been part of it. I don't really remember. The Gosp. Whole- the whole thing, but uh, the other owners get to decide who gets to join the club. Mm. And so recently, the Denver Broncos were sold for a record five billion dollars, I think, and that wow. they were sold to the seventeenth franchise. Yes, five the billion. Den- in wow, five, four point six five, I think, was the number. Oh, but nothing. they were sold to the uh, Walton family, who is. I think Rob Walton is worth $60 billion, so a drop Mm. in the bucket for him. But um, that group gets kind of picked on, picked from the other Mm. owners. You can't just have the money and, like, win it and then you're in. You get kind of chosen. The reason I ask, obviously, is because with Liberty Media taking over, we, we kind of feel like Formula One is going towards that kind of closed shop. And the second they put that caveat in that if a new team comes in, they would at a minimum have to pay the 200 million euros that was the big alarm bell that went oh this is a this is a franchise set setup and i read that there's and, and trumpets maybe you and spanners know more about that there's this thing called the concord agreement which is between liberty media the fia and the formula one teams and so any yeah. 
potential owner would need, or I, I don't know what you would call Andretti in this case, like team yeah. principal or whatever owner, uh, governor would need to get approved on through this agreement, which I think runs out in 2025. Yeah, it predates Liberty, the Concord Agreement, Matt, doesn't it? Oh, well, it's been a while since I did research on that. For a while, we had a tripartite I was going to say, don't flake on this, because I still remember, like, eight years ago, you boring me to death about the Concord Agreement. Well, we did have a Concord Agreement. You'd best be able to spiel it off now when it's useful. We did have a Concord Agreement, and then we didn't have one for a while. We had separate – it was tripartite between um, Formula One and FIA and Formula One and the individual teams. But we might have a Concord Agreement again. Uh, a new they don't one, a new like one. to yeah. talk about it very much because they don't like us talking about it very much. They'd rather us focus on other things, mm. which I think is a good reason maybe that I'll now have to go do some research on it. But what we've heard regarding Andretti, and this is interesting, and you make the point that NFL is very geography-based. Andretti is an American team would seem to be a no-brainer for an organization that is trying to grow the in sport the US. in America, yeah. where there is still as much progress has been made in the market, there's still a lot of room to go. Yeah, and yet it dilutes the it dilutes the reward pie for the other teams, and that's where I think a lot of the resistance is coming from. I think, I think it's not yeah. enough to pay the two hundred million. Yeah, it's you got to pay the two hundred million and show me that the revenue bump we're going to get. Mm will cover an 11th slice of the pie. I think what upsets me, and, and this is the last thing I'll ask because we're, we're running out of time here, but Jessica, what upsets me is how much power the teams have in all of this conversation. It should just be a sport, and it, it's up to the teams to kind of win in the sport. When they can make the rules, when they can set terms, when they can affect the competition, that to me starts to eat into what is a sport. And obviously I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, primarily a football fan, a Colchester United fan. I saw us like in the sixth tier of English football and then we fought our way up to the third tier. We could, we could literally, we could go in the cup all the way to the final. We could beat Manchester United in the cup. It hasn't happened yet, but it could. And that's the magic for me of that sport. Well, I think the argument from the billionaires, I, and I could maybe speak more for, uh, as, as a, a NFL fan, oh, is okay. that uh, oh, not as a billionaire, <laughs> certainly, <laughs> um, is that they see these as very big investments and ones that they know will get bigger as time goes on. So they're very interested in protecting it as a way to put money for you know ten years mm. while they own one of these franchises, knowing it's going to you know go up with inflation. And so their vested interest is to protect that investment, not necessarily to see there be more parity or whatever. Yes, I think they do have an interest in growing yeah. the league and the sport, but it's a very fine balance for them. I, I also think that there are people who would tell you that that model inherently is unjust in that we should have sports leagues that are actually governed yes. by the players that play in that. Missed Apex but, Racing should have the same opportunity as Mercedes. But Mercedes would tell you that Mercedes spends a lot of Mercedes money yeah. and they want to keep making money and not risk giving up some of that money to something that's an unknown Some shed dweller. Some shed dweller, Matt. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And, and that, that's always the... It's the selfishness of the teams that is both amazing yeah. and occasionally problematic. Jessica, it has been absolutely fantastic to have you in the shed with us. Not that you need our help because you have 47 million Twitter followers and Instagram followers, but where can our listeners and viewers go and find more of Jessica Smetana? 
Well, you can start by following me on Twitter, Jessica underscore Smetana, S-M-E-T-A-N-A. For anyone listening that speaks any Slavic languages, yes, I know my name means sour cream. Oh, does it? People people tweet that at me all the time after they discover my Twitter account. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm just going to preempt that. But you- thank you so much for having me on. This was I, I was like legitimately nervous to come on oh, because no. I... I've been listening to the show for a while, and I I can't believe that my Formula One knowledge is considered, you know, uh, adequate to join you both. But I appreciate the opportunity to try. Well, okay, so me and Matt again, we're a low bar. But when uh, when Kevin Clark from the Ringer podcast said you must have Jessica on, we we looked up the podcast that you'd been on, and we were in absolutely no doubt that uh, you'd be an absolutely fantastic shed pundit. And and if we can ever get any of your time again. Uh, please say that you'll come and drop in and, and visit us again. Who, who knows? Maybe even for a Sunday night race review sometime. Anytime. I'm, I'm, all, I'm here for it. Fantastic. And uh, you can follow Matt as well, I guess, if you want to. Why? At Matt Why PT. would you do that? Because on Facebook, you post literally pictures of trumpets occasionally. So if, if you want to see Matt's trumpet, go and follow you yeah. on, uh, on Instagram and Twitter. And some occasional baking for my daughter. Yeah. And you should follow me as well at Spanners Ready. I mean, my goodness, I'm the best one. I think we are going to see you next for the French Grand Prix race review. And then after that, we're hoping to catch up with Mr. Matthew Carter. I know it's been a while and we'll do a bunch of patron pods. And look out for me. Uh, look out on my Twitter and my Facebook. I'm going to be doing a bunch of call-in style stuff so that you can just chat to me fire points at me i wouldn't say ask questions because as we know i'm not an expert but i would like the opportunity to speak to more of you in a show format but until i see you next work hard be kind and have fun this was mistake Apex podcast Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
market. The secret to summer-ready skin is here. Osea's number one best-selling Andaria Algae Body Oil, clinically proven to instantly improve skin elasticity and transform dry skin to silky, soft, and unbelievably glowing. Its signature scent of freshly squeezed grapefruit, cypress, and mango mandarin transports you to sun-kissed summer days. Get healthy, glowing skin for summer with clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.